I'm Arya Grossman. And I'm Alex Drucker. Welcome to the Corem Podcast. Every week on the Corem Podcast, we invite you into the conversations with some of the Jewish world's leading thinkers, leaders, educators, and us to discuss the key issues, the ups and the downs, the challenges and the successes facing us today. This is not a podcast about books, but about what's happening off the page. Shalom from Jerusalem and welcome back to another very special episode of the Karen Podcast. Unfortunately, my usual co-host, Aria Grossman, can't be here today. Um, But I have been joined by somebody very, very special, Shira Greenspan, who is the host of a brand new podcast from the Karen Podcast Network um, called I've Got a Question. Shira, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. So Shira, you've been very kind to let us preview the first episode of uh, I've Got a Question, this brand new podcast. Um, but before we do, why don't we uh, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are um, and what I've Got a Question is all about. Um, so Shira, who are you? Where are you from? Uh, what 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 are you bringing to the table? So I'm Shira Greenspan. I was born here in Yerushalayim, grew up in Israel and in America, where I taught for many years. And four years ago, I got to finally make Aliyah with my family, where I've continued teaching. And I'm also an artist. I've illustrated two Haggadot. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop right there. Sorry to interrupt. But um, I think your mother would never forgive you or me if I didn't interrupt you and say you're not just a teacher, um, but you're an award-winning teacher, right? That is correct. I, I won the the Kohelet Prize um, in Jewish education. Right. And so I hope you don't mind me saying, but you have, you know, you've made a name for yourself for being you know, very creative, very innovative um, when it comes to teaching Torah um, and getting people excited about learning. Um, and I mean that, you know, <laughs> only only as a compliment. Um, so can you tell us a bit about, I've got a question, you know, what's the format? How does it work? Um, what is special um, about this podcast uh, that perhaps children have never seen before, or I should say heard before? So I've got a question is a really unique space and opportunity for kids to share any questions that they have. Right now we're focusing on Pesach. So any questions that kids have about Pesach, they've been sending our way. And those questions are what fuel and drive every single episode. Each episode centers around a different question that was submitted by a real kid from anywhere in the world. We have questions coming in from South Africa, from New York, from Israel, from Florida, from from the UK, all over. Um, and And hearing those questions and gathering those questions is showing us just how curious kids are. They have so much they want to know and so much they want to discover. And it's been so inspiring for me to see that, um, how how just one question can produce an entire episode, can can be this foundation for an entire episode and ultimately for this entire series. And it's not just you speaking into a microphone at the kids. This isn't story time. Oh, God forbid. I, I hope you already can tell this now that you don't want to just hear from me. You want to hear from the experts that the world has to offer. We've got experts coming in from the medical field, from the artistic field, from the world of Torah, from the world of education, from storytelling, from publishing, from all over to help us answer the incredibly diverse questions that kids are sending our way. Um, we also get to hear from other kids who have sent in some pretty funny jokes. So I'm really excited to share that with you, to share tips for the Seder, um, and of course, answering these incredible questions along the way. So without further ado, it is my absolute pleasure to uh, share with our listeners now um, just the first episode of 
um, I've Got a Question, which is available now wherever you get your podcasts. So wherever you listen, please make sure you subscribe, share it with your friends, share it with your kids, with your parents, set up an audio cover of sorts, uh, have your kids listen to it with their grandparents, with their school friends, teachers, you can play it to your classes. Um, it is something really, really special. Shira, it's fantastic having you as a member of the current Podcast Network family. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. And to everyone out there, please enjoy. And from us, uh, have a Chag Kasher V'Sameach. Thank you. I wish everybody a Chag Kasher V'Sameach. Welcome to I've Got a Question. Hi, I'm your host, Shira Greenspan. This podcast is a place to dive into the things you've always wanted to know. Kids like you from all over the world have been sending in their questions about Pesach. I wonder what today's question is going to be. Hi, I'm Marie Trudler from Ballykinwood, Pennsylvania, and I've got a question. Why is Pesach so bloody? Like, why do so many Pesach things have to do with blood? It seems so gross. That is a good question. Pesach is really bloody. I never really thought about that before. But now that you mention it, there are a lot of times where blood shows up on Pesach. Like, well, the first plague, Makat Dam, that was a whole plague of blood everywhere. Oh, that was pretty bloody. Then fast forward to the last plague, where we're finally ready to leave Mitzrayim. And what are we commanded to do? To take a sheep kill it as a sacrifice, and if that's not bloody enough, take the sheep's blood and smear it all over our doorposts. You'd think that on a night when we didn't even have enough time for our bread to rise, we could have skipped the whole painting blood on doorposts thing. But that's not how it went down. For some reason, that blood becomes the star of the night. That blood is exactly what makes each Jewish family worthy of Hashem skipping over their home during Makat Bechorot. I mean, if I was choosing which home to go to, I'd also pass over the ones with blood on the door. Gross. Hmm, what are other examples of blood on Pesach? Well, looking at Seder night itself, even nowadays, when unfortunately we aren't able to bring the bloody carbon Pesach in the Beit HaMikdash, Seder night is full of blood. You know those four cups that we drink? We're encouraged to use red grape juice or wine for the four cups. Why? It's in memory of the Jewish blood that was spilled in Egypt. And I'll point out another example from the Seder that may even be less familiar. Smack in the middle of Magid, the part of the Haggadah where we're performing the mitzvah of the night, the telling of how Hashem took us out of Egypt, we read a pasuk. Did you hear that too? Bidamayich, bidamayich, dam. Your blood, your blood, your blood. Blood. What is this doing in the Haggadah? What are we meant to learn from it? I don't know. But it doesn't take deep understanding to see that these words smack in the middle of Magid are full of blood. Now I'm curious. Why is Pesach so bloody? Maybe it would be helpful to understand what blood is and what it does. To answer this, I called my friend Dr. Larry Stiefel. Hi, Larry. Thanks for coming. What is blood and why is it so gross? Hi, Shira. Thanks for your questions. My name is Larry Stiefel. I'm a doctor and I work with blood all the time. When blood is where it's supposed to be inside our bodies, it's amazing. Blood brings oxygen and nutrients to our bodies so that each part can keep working. Blood also helps remove things from our bodies that don't belong. 
There, those are just some of the amazing things that blood can do. Blood is a sign of life. But when blood is in a place where it's not supposed to be, like if we get hurt, then that could be sometimes concerning or a little bit gross. I hope that was helpful. Thank you, Dr. Larry. So blood isn't always gross. When it's where it's supposed to be, like in our bodies, it's awesome. It keeps each of us alive. But blood is gross when we find it somewhere it shouldn't be. Like if you're going to take a drink of water and your cup is full of blood. Or if you're going to swim in the river, but the river's turned to blood. So maybe it's not as gross as I assumed before, but it still leaves me wondering. What's blood doing all over the Haggadah and the Pesach story? Hi, my name's Kier and I have a joke. Why didn't Paro like the first play? He thought it was dumb. <laughs> so why blood? When I've got a question, I look for answers in the books in my house. I found the Koran Youth Haggadah on my shelf, but then I thought, my friend Daniel Rose made this Haggadah. I should just call him. So I gave him a call. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Shira. Thanks for having me. I've got a question for you. Why is there blood all over the Pesach story? Okay, so that's a really great question. And the truth is, to make your question even stronger, blood doesn't really start with the story in Egypt. The connection between blood and our slavery in Egypt starts generations before when God and Abraham make a deal together. A deal in Hebrew we call a Brit, like a covenant, a Brit, a deal between two people. And this Brit, Brit Benabatarim, was when God told Avram to take various animals um, and cut them in half, which you can imagine must have been pretty gross, blood everywhere, and divide the halves into two rows. Um, and then almost to sign the covenant. Today, when we have a deal, we sign it on a piece of paper. In biblical times, this was the way covenants were signed. Avram walked in between the parts of the animals, and then Hashem also walked. He didn't really walk. He doesn't have legs, but he uh, made a kind of a, um, a, a vision of himself that went in between these parts to sign this deal. So, so what was the uh, what was the deal between Avram and Hashem? So Hashem promised Avram that while his descendants, the Jews, the Israelites, would become slaves in Egypt generations later, and they'd be there for hundreds of years. Hashem promises that he'll take them out of Egypt and promises them that they'll become a big and numerous nation and promises that he'll take them to Eretz Israel, to the land of Israel. And all Avram and his descendants need to do is they need to follow the word of God, keep the Torah. So now let's zoom forward uh, more than 400 years. Hashem sends Moshe to come and save the Jewish people and he does it through these signs where there's a lot of blood, more blood. And then after the Makot, after the ten plagues are finished, there's even more blood because then Hashem tells B'nai Yisrael to take a Korban Pesach, to take a lamb and to kill it and to eat the Korban Pesach as part of their the very first Pesach celebration, but also to take some of that blood and to put it on the doorposts of their homes. Now, we all know Hashem doesn't need a sign to know which homes to skip over or to pass over in order to not... Uh, visit the, uh, the, the, the tenth plague, Makab on the Jewish homes. So really that sign is not about Hashem knowing which homes to pass over, but it's more about the people who are living inside those homes, remembering this connection to blood and this connection to Hashem and to the Brits with Avraham. And you can imagine that every time those Jews walked through the doorway, which had blood on the doorposts, it was as if they were walking through all the parts of those animals 
hundreds of years earlier and being part of the Britain at the time. So there is this theme that runs for hundreds of years um, surrounding blood. Blood is so central, as gross as it might be, clearly Hashem has chosen blood as a really powerful sign for us and for the Egyptians. So there's a connection between the promise that Hashem made Avraham and the night we left Egypt. Why is it specifically blood that symbolizes that promise? So that's the obvious question is why blood? So I, look, I think that blood represents, look, it represents life. We know that blood is the life force. We can't live without blood. We know that it's a big mitzvah to donate your blood because your body, the amazing thing about our bodies are it regenerates blood. But sometimes when uh, people are ill or the hospitals need blood, so we, we donate blood. Blood gives life. It represents life. Um, even though in the Makot, it seems to be the opposite of life. The Nile River represented life as well because we need water and Hashem took the Nile River and he turned it to blood which then really took a life source and made it about death but I think I think blood still is all about life even in the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim because I think that blood is who we are we even talk that way we talk about our blood our blood is the people we're related to that we share genetics with so blood is your very essence your identity and Hashem wanted to remind the Jewish people, of who they were. They're the descendants of Avram. This is their very identity. Their very lives are all about this blood. And maybe he wanted to tell the Egyptians that, that as well. So all of the times blood comes up in the Haggadah, it's a sign of life? What about the first plague, Makat Dam? Yeah, so that's what I think. I think that, that you know, blood, life and death are, are two sides of the same coin, obviously. And blood can represent life and, and, and a lack of blood or something wrong with your blood can represent death. So I, I, I think that ultimately the message of Yitzhak Mitzrayim is that we want to live in a world where there's life, where there are no more slaves, where the world is a place uh, that we want our children to live in. And that was the message of, of, of the first plague and of all the plagues is that, listen, uh, we don't want to destroy Egyptian civilization. This is Hashem or, the, or, or B'nai Yisrael, the Israelites. But this is what needs to happen in order to live, for the world to live, for the Jewish people to live. So yeah, we use the life source that represents life, blood, in order to um, battle uh, our enemy, the Egyptians. But really, the ultimate message is, while blood represents life, if this life is not the life that Hashem wants us to be living in this world, then he's going to use that to, uh, to teach the world that lesson. So depending on where blood is, it can be a gross thing or an amazing thing. Some of the blood in the Haggadah is amazing, and some of it really is meant to be gross. Thanks, Daniel. That's really helpful. It's been an absolute pleasure. Chag kashes v'sameach to you and to all of our listeners. Chag sameach. Hi, I'm Amitai from New York, and I've got a joke. Why do nurses need a red pen? So they can draw blood. <laughs> Wow. I, I want to tell you one more amazing thing about blood, a true story. It's the story of a man from Australia named James Harrison. James holds the world record for giving the most blood donations ever. A blood donation is when someone volunteers to give some of their blood so that it can be used to help others who need it, like Daniel Rose was telling us about. I've gotten to do it a few times, actually. You just sit in a chair, and yes, there's a needle involved, but there are usually cookies involved afterwards, too. In most places, you have to be a certain age to donate blood. But when you do, it's a tremendous chesed. 
You're literally saving lives. Anyway, this is the true story of James Harrison. When James was 14 years old, he got really sick. So sick that one of his lungs, the part of our body that we use for breathing, had to be removed. He was so sick that he didn't have enough of his own blood to survive. But he did survive. How? James received 13 units of blood, almost two gallons of blood donations. He was in the hospital for three months and survived because of the generous kindness of strangers. James knew right away that he wanted to give back. So when James turned 18, the minimum age for donating blood in Australia at the time, he started giving blood regularly. He did this every three weeks or so for 11 years. Every three weeks for 11 years. Meanwhile, doctors were struggling to cure a disease that was affecting unborn babies, an illness called RH incompatibility. It's a disease that has to do with antibodies. What are antibodies? They're little defensive cells inside of our blood that fight off things that our body recognizes as dangerous. You may have been hearing the word antibodies recently as the vaccines against COVID-19 are becoming available. A vaccine teaches our bodies to fight against specific germs and diseases, such as the coronavirus. At least, that's how it's supposed to work. Remember the disease RH incompatibility that I was telling you about? Well, for someone who has this disease... Their antibodies make a mistake. The antibodies of the pregnant woman think that the red blood cells of the fetus, the unborn baby, are actually a danger to her, and the antibodies attack. So scientists were researching and researching, trying to find a way to turn this reaction off. And you're not going to believe it. Doctors found that James Harrison's blood contained in it a rare antibody this is the miracle. Scientists have been able to take this special antibody from the blood that James Harrison donates and give this antibody to pregnant women who have RH incompatibility. Those little antibody molecules from James teach the new body how the fetus's red blood cells aren't dangerous. How does James Harrison have this miraculous ingredient in his blood? Get ready for this. So doctors think that James's body has the power to know that foreign red blood cells in the body can be a good thing because his own body learned that when he received blood donations from other people back when he was 14 years old. You can imagine that as soon as James Harrison understood the miraculous potential to save others that his blood contained, he kept donating and donating as much as he could. He saved so many people that he's actually in the Guinness World Records. They call him the man with the golden arm. And guess how long he's been doing this for? Over 60 years. Over 60 years, can you believe it? In this time, he has saved 2 million babies. And you're just not going to believe this. One of the babies that James saved was his own grandson, Scott. And in 2011, when Scott turned 16 years old, guess what he did? He made his first blood donation. And sitting right next to him was his grandfather, James, who was making his 1,000th donation. Now James Harrison is over 81 years old, which, according to the rules in Australia, means he's not eligible anymore to donate blood. But that's okay. James knows that others will step up to help. If you're healthy, why not? James says... Some people say, oh, you're a hero, but I'm in a safe room donating blood. 
They give me a cup of coffee and something to nibble on, and then I just go on my way. No problem, no hardship. I love this story, especially around Pesach time. Pesach, we have a story of this powerful guy, Paro, who used his power to destroy lives. But here we have James Harrison, and he uses his power to save lives, to save millions of lives. It's stories like this one that give me so much hope. Talking to Dr. Stiefel and Daniel Rose really helped me think about Orit's question. I hope that at my Seder, I remember that the blood of the Korban Pesach isn't meant to gross us out. It's meant to connect us all, as members of Avraham and Sarah's family, as members of the chosen nation of Hashem, to remind us that Hashem always keeps His promises to His people. Before we sign off today, <clears throat> I'm Shira from I've Got a Question, and I've got a question for you. Which Makkah was the most gross? Hello, my name is Meiva. Wogalanta and I'm and I'm seven years old. And I think the worst maca was Maka Stam. The grossest because Dam was all over the place and the bad because they didn't have anything to drink. I am Tamar and I am nine. I live in Modian. I think frogs is the grossest plague because there was like frogs everywhere and even in the dough so they couldn't eat anything and they couldn't sleep because the beds were all slimy because the pro- the frogs were probably slime everywhere and they co- they're like covered in frogs and they can't get it off so they can't go to lots of places because there's frogs everywhere. Hi, my name is Gabrielle Gordon. I'm from Jerusalem and I'm seven years old. And I think the worst plague was Makat Bechorot because it was people dying and and the grossest, I think there were two, Makat Kinim and Makat Obey because they were, they were bugs and swarms of bugs. Um, my name is Yosef. And you know what? what's the worst maca? And what's the worst maca frogs? And you know what? Why? Because they will go all over you. Thank you for listening to I've Got a Question. If you've got a question, send me a voice note to podcast at korenpub.com. And we'll see you next time. I've Got a Question is hosted by me, Shira Greenspan. Thank you to our guests, Dr. Larry Stiefel and Dr. Daniel Rose. I've Got a Question was produced by me, Shira Greenspan, with help from Dr. Daniel Rose and Arya Grossman, with production and editing help from Alex Drucker. I've Got a Question is a part of the Corin Podcast Network. That's it for this special episode of the Corin Podcast. Thank you again to Shira Greenspan for allowing us to share this first episode of I've Got a Question, which is available now from wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can get 10% off your next order at corinpub.com using promo code podcast at checkout. So head over there, check out our selection of Haggadot and books for Pesach. Uh, wishing you all a Chag Kasher V'Sameach, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>